the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today is uh, Good Shepherd Sunday. You may or may not have known that um, coming to service today, but uh, every fourth Sunday of Easter is Good Shepherd Sunday, and it is called that, and it is always done on this particular date, because on this date we read the 10th chapter of John. And in that discourse, this particular uh, writing, uh, Jesus is referred to as the Great Shepherd, or the Good Shepherd, although we did not read that passage this morning. You see, we divide up the 10th chapter into three segments, and we read about 10 verses each year through year A, year B, and year C. And this year we stop just short of it in verse 10. Verse 11, we get that declaration, I am the Good Shepherd. I'll be honest with you, I, I like this image of Jesus. It is one that I have uh, liked all of my life. And in fact, you probably remember, those of you who were here last week, that I told a story about a picture that hung in my childhood home in our living room. A picture of Jesus where you could not see Jesus' face because he was so tightly and lovingly embracing this lost lamb that you could not see his facial features. And so this is an image of Jesus that I think of often. It's, it is comforting to me. It gives me uh, confidence and affirmation. It, it makes me realize that God loves me and that, we'll, that God will do anything if I get lost to come and to find me. But it dawns on me that this is not always the way that other people feel about this particular imagery. And I think that we should notice that. I think it's important to notice that everyone has not been brought up in a Christian home or in a Christian context. I think about how often this language has been used in my own life uh, as a way to comfort me, right? And so for me, this immediately makes me feel confident and secure. But I imagine for people who are encountering these passages for the first time, they might have other questions. And so I think it does us good as a church, as a community, to stop and to think about how other people might encounter these passages that for us only have good indications. And let me give you an example. About a year ago, I was with a group of friends and we were talking about the lectionary reading for that coming Sunday. This is how nerdy I am. These are the conversations that I have with my friends about the upcoming lectionary readings. And we were sitting there, and we were going to be, that coming Sunday, we were going to be reading the third chapter of John, verse 16. You know this verse, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believeth in him shall not die, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You probably also realize in hearing me say that, that I grew up reading the King James Version. But I remember as we were reading this passage together and I was thinking about, gosh, I wish I could preach on anything other than that passage. Everyone knows that passage. In fact, Eric and I went to go drop off some socks at Cam or Good Sam. And uh, as we were coming home, we went by uh, In-N-Out Burger. And as we received our food from In-N-Out, I turned over my drink and on the bottom of it there imprinted was John 316, a Bible verse so ingrained in our culture that you can receive it through the fast food drive through lane. <laughs> and so I was sitting here and I was thinking, gosh, this, this Bible verse is almost boring to me, right? It's, I've just heard it so many times and I know that the point is not to have something new to say all of the time, but it just feels like retread. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then a friend of mine spoke up and she told me this. 
that John 3.16, this most milquetoast of passages, has actually been used as a weapon against her, a clobber passage. That she has difficulty with John 3.16 because this has been a passage that has been used against her to tell her that because of the way that she lives her life and because of who she loves, that she and her wife are the very reasons that God would have to send a Savior into the world. That her relationship was an indication of the brokenness of the world, which is why this would be necessary. And I remember my heart breaking in that moment and the light bulb going off for me that not everyone reads these stories the ways that you and I read these stories. And sometimes scripture has been used as a weapon rather than a gate that lets people in. And so as I read this passage this week, I thought about all these conversations that I've been having for the last two decades of people telling me, and I really thought that I knew all of the clobber passages, but people just don't cease to amaze me. People continue to find ways to weaponize Scripture against others. And so as I read this passage this week, I couldn't help but wonder what it would be like for someone to hear this passage for the first time. I know I say this a lot in my sermons, but it would, really would be interesting if we had time this morning to go around and to find out if anyone is hearing this passage for the first time, or maybe after a very long time of not hearing it. I wonder what your first reaction was. I wonder what images came to mind, if you understood it, if you felt like it was confusing. And I think that we should be honest that even as Jesus is talking and the disciples are listening about midway through this passage, he realizes that these people who have been walking with him, that have known him face to face, have no idea what he's talking about. They do not understand this metaphor. It is going completely over their heads. And so it's okay if we don't understand it too. If we have trouble with it, if we are caught by it, if we have pause about it. And so I wonder what kind of questions people might ask if they do not find this passage to be comforting. For instance, this story about a gatekeeper and a gape about a, about a sheepfold and about the dangers of people jumping in a different direction other than the gate, a message about a shepherd and strangers who come as thieves and bandits, I wonder what kind of questions people might ask. I wonder if it was our first reading today, if we might wonder, well, who is in and who is out in this equation? This story sure sounds like some people are inside the sheepfold and other people are outside. And if that's true, who is in and who is out and who gets to decide this? Maybe uh, the next question would be, well, what exactly or where is this sheepfold? Is it just faith? Is it belief? And if so, what constitutes faith or belief? Is it just gathering together in a group for church on Sunday, or is it being able to recite or memorize 16 fundamentals of truth that we all agree on? Do we have to memorize the whole Bible? Or maybe the sheepfold is a church, and if so, is it a particular church? I can tell you as an Episcopal priest, more often than not, I have run into Christians who think that I'm in the wrong sheepfold, and they really want to invite me over to their sheepfold, which coincidentally, is the right sheepfold. I also wonder about the supersessionist efforts that have been used with verses like this. When Jesus is talking, he is Jewish himself. He certainly is not referring to prophets or anything from Judaism that has come before him, and yet I can imagine Christian voices talking about and demonizing our Jewish neighbors as though they are the ones trying to climb over this sheepfold, as people who have come before and now are being labeled as robbers 
or bandits. What I'm trying to tell you is that these passages are complicated. And what does it mean to enter by the gate if Jesus is the gate? In which, by the way, in this passage, Jesus does not declare himself to be the good shepherd. That is a verse later that we did not read. Instead, today he refers to himself, I am the gate. And good gate Sunday doesn't have as good of a ring as good shepherd Sunday, which is why we are here. So what does it mean for all of these other people who have possibly entered a different way? I remember a pivotal point in my own faith and in my own search for meaning and my own search for relationship with the divine. The moment that I began to reflect on what happened to all the people who lived on the face of the earth before Jesus was born. People who never had the opportunity to hear the gospel, who never had any kind of divine relationship with God. People who just lived on this earth and knew nothing about this thing that you and I are gathered around. And when I started to ask those kind of questions, it made me wonder about the people who live on this planet right now, who will never hear the gospel, people whose lives will not be long enough to hear it or because they have not been born in a place that advertises itself as a Christian nation, right? People who have not grown up in a place where there are just as many churches as Waffle Houses on the corner. Like, there is just a context that you and I live in that this makes sense, right? We are going to hear this gospel. It is almost impossible to escape it. It is on the bottom of our fast food cups. And yet there are literally millions of people who live in contexts who will never hear this message in the way that you and I hear it. So what about them? What does it mean for them to enter into this gate and into this sheepfold? I ask these questions because I know that God is big enough to handle them, because that scripture is strong enough to handle them, that you and I are in this relationship where we are called to negotiate with this text and interrogate it, to ask these questions, because God is not afraid of questions. In fact, it only makes our faith deeper and stronger when we enter into these kind of conversations, not alone, but together with these texts. And the thing that I can tell you this morning is when we are confused by metaphors that oftentimes fail us, and that we should not feel bad about because even the disciples who walked on the face of the earth with Jesus did not understand this particular metaphor, that we should turn to the words of Jesus where he just gets down to brass tacks, where he stops and drops all of these metaphors, and where he tells us, not very often, but in these brief moments where he tells us exactly what he is about and what he has come to do. If you've got your bulletin, I want you to turn back to the gospel for a second. I want you to read this last sentence with me. It doesn't have to be out loud. But Jesus tells us exactly why he has come into the world. I came that, that they may have life and have it abundantly. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The question you and I must ask is, are we following Jesus? Are we living a life that is abundant? And when I say an abundant life, what I don't mean here is like some prosperity gospel version of abundant life. What I don't mean is that you and I can leave the service today and go check our ATM if people still go to ATMs, and suddenly our bank accounts will be full and we'll have a nicer car in the parking lot and we'll arrive home and our house will be twice the size that, that we left it. This is not the kind of abundant life that I am talking about. I am talking about something that is different. And truthfully, abundant life is contextual, right? Abundant life means something right now that it didn't necessarily mean when these scriptures were written, and so we have to understand that too. But I do think that there are some universal things true about an abundant life. 
And so this is where I believe that Jesus, the good shepherd, is calling us, if we can hear his voice. I believe that Jesus is calling us into a life where our vocation has purpose and meaning. And when I say vocation, what I do not mean is how you get a paycheck, right? Some of us have to just work, right, because, because we need to live. But our vocation is something that you and I are called to do with our life. To borrow some words from Frederick Buechner, he described this as where the world's need and our great joy intersect. In other words, you are called to do something with this life that has meaning and purpose, and it matters not your age or how much money you have or where you live. You can live into this calling and this vocation. God has a plan for you, and your abundant life is part of finding this calling. This abundant life includes participation, I have a hard time with that word, participation in a loving community, and you are here this morning taking the first step. You are here in a loving community. And the next step is getting more involved. It's going to coffee hour after this. It's coming, coming to a campus care day or going on a hike or joining a Zoom call with Romeo and Juliet. It's getting to know the people who are in the pew with you so that you can have this next piece. This next piece of an abundant life, which is sustained and sustaining relationships. You desperately need people that you can depend upon. You need people who will be there for you for the long haul. That when things get tough and life goes in unexpected ways so that you have people to call. And guess what? Likewise, you need to be that person for the people around you. Let me tell you, I was sitting back there just a few moments ago, and I was listening to the choir sing, and I was listening to the congregation get involved, and there are moments in life where we are looking at like a big mountain or across the seashore, and we are experiencing the divine in that moment, and I was having one of those moments just back there. Because this is a loving community, a place where God can be found. You are a people that can offer both sustained and sustaining relationships where people can experience this kind of abundant life. And lastly, I think that we are called to a sense of security. And this might seem opposite to some of the things that I have said throughout the sermon, so let me describe what I mean by that. A sense of security does not mean that nothing in our life will ever go wrong again, that we will no longer have any worries. A sense of security means that we believe that no matter what goes on in our life, that God remains with us. And that's the whole idea of a shepherd, right? That we can't predict the things that will come along to the sheepfold. That sometimes we have to leave the safety of the sheepfold and go out to get grass. And the shepherd is with us no matter what we encounter. And the shepherd is brave enough and loving enough that if 99 are safe and one goes lost, that shepherd will come looking for us. This is the kind of abundant life, my friends, that Christ is calling us to and leading us towards as our good shepherd. Amen.